0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Grab your Bibles or more likely open up your phones with your Bible app. So there was a little test here. I, um, I talked to a couple people today that were just coming to visit. And so the rest of you that call Branches home, you are now being tested because I get to ask them how well they were greeted and welcomed in and if you know their names. So I'll give you your grade next week and we'll see how we did. We are going to be finishing up our series on Lost um, Talking about our finances and what it means to be lost, and there was a story that um, I don't really like to tell, but I thought it was important to tell because I just I get embarrassed for us as Christians sometimes when I look back in history and see the things we've done, not to mention the things we do nowadays. But we had these things called the Crusades, where uh, the church the church decided to develop an army to go defeat people so they would become Christians. Did you hear what I just said? Like, it's crazy. Like, when you say it out loud, you're thinking, D- did we really do something so dumb? So they were called the Crusades. In fact, the school I went to, we called ourselves the Crusaders. And I was, when I learned about this, I'm like, are you serious? Are we, really, are we really doing this? So they changed it. And now the school I went to, um, they're called the Sea Lions. <laughs> now, I know you're thinking that they're sea lions, like lions that play, in the, you know, like RC Lions, like those things. But no, they wanted to be cool, so they wanted lions. So they're lions that play in the sea. (laughs) So when they first changed the name, they had these lions. I'm totally on a tangent here, by the way. This was not part of it. So this isn't the story I'm embarrassed to tell. But they had these lions. They said, no, in Africa, there's these lions, and they come out, and they play in the ocean. So we're the sea lions. But over time, they realized how dumb that was. So then they changed it to the sea lions, and now that's the mascot of the university I went to. But they changed it, going back to where we started, um, they changed it from crusaders. And so the church hired mercenaries whose job it was to kill, and they'd kill for money. And so the church paid them, and they said, Well, you're going to do some holy work, so we need to baptize you. So they would take these mercenaries and they would baptize them. But the mercenaries, and it was a huge army, but the mercenaries refused. As they were being dipped, they didn't want to put their swords in the water. So they would be dipped under the water, but they would hold their swords above because they wanted to give, give God everything, but they wanted to be able to do whatever they wanted with their swords. So they didn't want their swords to go with them in the baptism. And as crazy as that sounds, let me ask you this question. What is it in life that you are holding above the water when it comes to handing it over to God. I want to do whatever I want with that, but you can have all this other stuff. It doesn't work that way. It's all his. Whether you know it or not, it's all his. And as we finish this series about money and what it is to be lost in money, it's where you lose your way. And so many of us lose our way thinking that we can just do everything else but keep that from him. It already belongs to him. So in this series that we're going through, for this last session, this is my question for us. Has money given you lasting happiness? Has it given you happiness? And we're going to get deeper into that, so I just want you to wrestle with that question. But as we look at this, I want us to remember why we started going through this series anyways. We were going to do it. uh, The original plan I had was for us to do it as part of uh, leading up to Christmas, as part of Advent. But I wanted to make sure, because see, at the, at the end of the year, there's year-end giving, and I didn't want anyone to think that we were going through this series to get something from you. Because the reason this has been in my heart to go through for so, so long is because we want something for you. We want you to be set free. And money is, like we said, it's neutral, but it can take a, a hold in your heart, it can lead you astray, And when this tool, though, is used for what God has expected us to do with it, it can bring great joy, not just to us, but especially to others. So money can bring happiness, but not in the way you might think. Also, as we talked about this, we talked about being a follower of Jesus. You can't be lost in money and finances. And you know when you're lost. This isn't like we had to, like, tell you, oh, you're lost. You just know, I know I'm supposed to be here Or somewhere, but not where I'm at right now. I'm somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. That's the sense of being lost. But as a follower of Jesus, you can't choose to remain lost. You can't ignore that. Your, Your spiritual life, your financial life, your physical life, it's all intertwined. All of those work together. And so it's important for us as followers of Jesus to say, okay, Lord, help me to get this straight. What do you want from me? What is this actually supposed to look like? We went through a couple different things that we wrestled with. Um, We talked about who's your master. What does that mean to have money being your master or the Lord being your master? We talked about comfort versus convenience. We talked about stewardship, um, what our role is, and then we talked about it being all his. Everything is his. But what we're going to focus on this morning, we're going to start with talking about happiness we're going to talk about how do we get happiness with money then. Because it's here, and it's not a bad thing. It's not neither bad nor good, but it's a tool. But how can it bring happiness? Because it can. So um, let's start getting into it. 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, you've heard this before, but usually the way we remember it and the way we pass it on is that we say money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says, is it? It says the love of money. So the love of money is a root of all kinds of people. So what is this love of money? Well, Paul goes on to explain a little bit more. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we got to be honest here and, and say, you know what, money can cause us grief, us and others. Um, I've had him come speak here a few times, my uh, buddy Moffat from Zambia. And so when he, we spent some time together, I was looking back through some old notes and I wrote down something he said. And in researching for this series, I found it again. And it was on the idea of can money make you happy? So in Zambia, they, um, there's only a few cities and they're very populated. The average lifespan. In these wealthy cities is 37 years old so if you've passed the age of 37 it's because you live here and not there in the city so in Zambia in the city the average life expectancy is 37 now there's other factors involved of course but he says money has a lot to do with it that what it does to you and it's it's hard to not let it grab your heart he said but out in the villages and see the villages where all the poor live. So um, we've been to a lot of those villages. The most beautiful people, and there's this great joy. They're not perfect, but there's this. You could tell the difference between the city and in out in the rural areas, and in the villages. That's what they call them. They don't call them the rural areas. They say out in the villages. The average life expectancy in the villages, fifty. Money is powerful, and as it says here in First Timothy, it can pierce you with many griefs. And when you have that kind of grief and that kind of stress, it can take years off of your life. Um, I was studying also some of the, the wealthiest people in the world. And there's some extremely wealthy people that refuse, I'm talking billionaires, multi, multi, multi-millionaires, who refuse to give that much money to their kids when they die. So for their inheritance, they've written it out, look, I don't want my kids getting all of this. And I love what uh, Warren Buffett said about it. He said, why, why would you do that? I mean, you are worth billions, and really, you're not gonna leave it all for your kids? And he said, I love my kids too much to do that to them because he understands it. Not only does he have all this money, but he's been around other people with a lot of money. That's why he's chosen to give away 99% of his money. He's got it all planned out. He came up with a plan on it. You know who else said this? You would never know his name. And there's so many, but I want to try to choose some kind of groups that you may understand. The guy that started eBay made the same decision for the same reasons, because they love their children. I bet you didn't know this. The bass player for Kiss, Gene Simmons, made the same decision. Because he loves his kids. That guy's got lots of money. He's still making it all the time. Royalties and such. But he loves his children, and he even understands That this money can grab a hold of their heart, I don't want to just give them all that because that's not really blessing them. So he understands to some degree that it can, the root, the love, the love of money, this eagerness to want so much more can get in the way. But there's one of my heroes, and I think he helps to explain this more clearly than I could. And we've talked about him a little bit. I've told you about books that I think you should read. Um, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, uh, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And there's another person's life. He's written about it, but he wrote about it so long ago that if you tried to read it, it's old English, it'd be difficult. But this is what John Wesley, this is what happened in his life with money. So he grew up, his father was an Anglican priest and in a poor area, and he had eight kids. So John Wesley grew, grew up in poverty. But even with that poverty, he said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to be a pastor. So prior to being a pastor, uh, he worked, well, I mean, he, he did it on the side, but he was at Oxford University teaching. And the a person at that time, a man, a single man could live on 30 pounds, not dollars, but pounds a year comfortably. And so that's how much he made. And he says there was a very critical time in his life where he started to understand something more about money that he didn't understand. Because at this point, he's making more than his dad used to make. But this, the, the maid had come in to clean up his room, and he had just gone and bought some pictures for the walls. So he bought these pictures for the walls, and he was just finishing putting up these paintings and, or whatever it was that he put on his wall coverings. And the maid came in. It was the middle of winter, and she was coming to clean up. And he looked, and all she had was, like, this thin, like, thin, thin cloth to deal with all the winters. It wasn't like she put her jacket and left it downstairs. This is all she had because she was so poor. And his heart was moved, and so he wanted to give her some money to go buy a new jacket. And he realized he had no money left. He'd spent it all. And something clicked in him. He, looked, he said he looked at the walls, and he saw her freezing. Because he realized he had taken what he could have cared for her and put it up on the wall. He had nothing left. And so he made a decision. So the next year he was very, he planned it all out. He lived for that year only on 28 pounds. So he had two pounds to give away. Well, as we talked about a little bit with John Wesley, he started making more money. Because of his preaching and especially for his writing. And so money started coming in. So the next year it doubled. But he decided to live on only 28 pounds. Then it went up to $90. He still only lived on 28 pounds. It went up to 120 pounds a year. And he still lived on only 28 and gave it away. So then, as we talked about, he became really wealthy for that time, for being just a, a pastor and a writer. He still only lived on 28 pounds when he made 1,400 pounds. So when he was at one of his you know, the highest points of finances, he was living on 28 pounds and giving the rest of it away. Now, I don't know if it's all from that one moment, but something clicked and he said, look, I'm not happy keeping all this. I'm getting a greater joy from giving it out. It wasn't like he's like, oh, poor me. I've got to live as poor as I can. Poor me. He was still living comfortably. But as he made more, he didn't start living on more. He started giving it more away. He had a plan. And that's where his joy came from, and that he wrote about and wrote about. And so when he'd go and speak, he, would, he was so passionate because he loved people, and he wanted to set them free and have them do what he had done because he was so free and so filled with joy. Let's look at this verse, though. We talk about being happy and what to do with money. He's, in Acts 20, Paul again says, In everything I did, I showed you. That by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Money can go either way. Possessions can go either way. But the way that we need to look at it so that we're not lost, the way to look at money is this is an amazing tool. This potential for such good, that will begin to bring joy and happiness as you realize you have, with, you have in your possession, you got here, you're wearing clothes, so I know you have stuff. But the way that you can get full joy is to find ways to give it. Like when you hear this passage, it's usually, hey, it's better to give than to receive. And it's usually brought up from a parent to a kid. when they're like, I didn't get what I wanted. And you're like, hey, that's not what this season's about. It's better to give than to receive. And so we kind of lose it. No, think about it like Wesley, this potential to do What in the heck did he do with the over 30,000 pounds that he gave away in his lifetime? Imagine how much good he created by being a good manager of God's stuff and thinking through how should I give it away, who should I care for. This money has the potential in in the hands of, in our hands, as children of God, money in our hands has the ability to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, to care for the widows, to care for the orphans, to care for the oppressed, to care for the imprisoned, to care for the lonely, to give to the sick to get healthy. Money is powerful. It is a gift that we have been given the honor of distributing for him. I mean, if I told you, hey, Buffett has an opening, and he said he needs somebody from branches to do it, he's got to give away 99% of his money. Can any of you do that? Would you want to apply for that? How cool of a job is that? In fact, it's such a cool job, I've considered doing it. I'm like, maybe that's what I should do. I mean, I'm a pastor, but maybe I should get into one of these foundations because I know where some of these needs are. Wouldn't that be cool? But I have that job already. Just the money I have to work with is a lot less. But I still have it to use, to give away. So do you. So that's what we need to wrestle with. So this joy, where does it come from? How how do we do that? Well, this, I believe, is the answer right here. I know you're like, wait, we're still in Matthew 25? Seriously? How many weeks in a row have we been going through this? I may go through it next week. You give me side eye, I, I will go through this next week, and I will force you to go through it. Matthew 25, 21. Remember, these servants, one was given five talents, or as what we refer to it as $5,000. Another person was given two talents, or $2,000, and another 1000 and their responsibility, it was given to them by their master to go and distribute it, to hand it out, to take care of his stuff the way he would want it taken care of. And so the one Invests, And as we talked about investing, what John Wesley was doing was investing, but investing correctly. He could have put it in this or that and let it grow and grow. and He could have, but his choice was, I'm going to invest it right away. I'm going to invest it in people and the poor and this and that and this school and these educations and these books and these schools. And so he gave it away. And the master in this situation, for the one that was faithful, the one that invested it the way he would want it invested, that put effort into it, thoughtful, diligent. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Obviously, you can tell what I'm going to focus on because it's in bright green. You've figured this out by now when you see me. We're going to focus on what it means to be faithful. In the time that we have left this morning, we're going to focus on what does it mean to be faithful. Because by being faithful, God to these servants says, come in. I'm happy. I want you to have this happiness. Now, it doesn't mean that they're happy because they're given more. Because as we find out later, he entrusts those who were faithful with more. But it's not like, hey, here's your payment. No, it's as if you're working for Buffett and you're distributing his money And you do well, and he's like, hey, you're doing great. Remember I told you we had this much money? I was kind of holding back a little bit. Actually, I have more. And now I'm going to entrust you with even more to give away. There's the happiness that comes from that, and the master is confident in the joy that his servant is experiencing. He says, I want you to have the same joy that I have, the same happiness. Let's do this. So the way to be happy with money so you can answer that question, "Is money ever made you happy? Being faithful with God's stuff is what's going to make you happy. Trying to keep it and buy stuff or acquire things or to make yourself happy, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what does it mean to be faithful? Because if being faithful is what God's requiring from us, and by being faithful, we will have happiness and joy when it comes to money. What does it mean to be faithful? this is how faithful is defined trustworthy competent wise loyal firm as I'm going through this I want you to think am I doing this with money am I being constant or another way says consistent am I am I being faithful fidelity you know having only one husband or one wife like am I being focused here true dependable reliable Honest, sincere, sure, genuine, secure, honorable. When we go through those words dependable and reliable, for us today, I think that those are two terms that are most helpful. This is the way I would describe faithful. If we're going to have a standard for faithfulness, we need to use the same standard for faithfulness that we do with our Lord, with his money, with our faith, with our community of faith or the church. If we say that we're faithful, then we should use the same standard here that we use outside. For example, if you woke up this morning and your hot water heater didn't work, and we were staying at your house, and then we came downstairs, and you're like, I know that heater, it's like two or three times a week, it just doesn't work. Would you call that faithful, that hot water heater? No way! Not a chance. What if um, your car, and you knew that once or twice a month, that sucker ain't starting? Or another couple times a month, you're going to be going somewhere, and it's not going to make it. Hey, most of the time, it's reliable. That would not be your car anymore, would it? Because for the most part, if you have any ability to, that car is not faithful. You can't depend on that. If you were to pay your mortgage or your rent only 10 times out of 12 for the the month, do you think that the landlord or do you think that the mortgage company would go, 10 out of 12 ain't so bad? Good job. Way to go. No. Your credit report defines whether you're supposed to be faithful or not. Do you do what you say you're going to do? That's what faithful is. So let's get into this. Let's kind of start landing the plane to some degree. I know most of the time we spend a lot more time really wrestling with the scripture, but we've been doing that for five weeks. So now what does this look like? What does this look like on a day-to-day basis? What does it mean to be faithful with his stuff? So some of this is stuff that we've gone through, and some of it just fits with that title of faithful. So practical where, to the, where the rubber meets the road, what is God expecting us to do with his money? What does scripture say? As we talked about, God's word is filled with a map. It's a map with his money and his stuff, telling us how to handle it, how to work with it. We need to have a clear plan for his money and possessions. In the very beginning, I said, if you don't already have a plan, if you don't know where the money is going or where it's coming in, then get mint.com. And it's free. So, you don't have to have anything to start. If you're not tech savvy, it's super easy. Because that way you know what's coming in and what's going out. But we need to have a plan. But to have a plan, we need to know what's coming in and going out. So, know how much is coming in, know how much is going out. Don't spend more than comes in. And as we talked about, you invest God's money first, you don't give it to yourself first. I know there's some books that say, hey, pay yourself first. When it comes to money. God's word is clear. Give him the first fruits. Make sure that you take care of what matters to him most first. Which is completely opposite of what this world teaches us. But as his servants, his administers, that's what we're called to do. Take care of his stuff first. Care for your family. Prepare for the tough times by saving. It's not if the tough times come, like these emergency funds. That's the, the term that's used a lot now. It's coming. It's not if it comes. It's when. So you need to be prepared. We shouldn't be surprised. Oh, my gosh. My dryer's not working. Oh, what? My car blew up. There's a fire. Like, this is going to happen. This is life. So we need to be prepared for it. God's word teaches that. Now, unfortunately, God's word does not say to pay off debt. Because God's word says do not get into debt. The assumption is you're going to be obedient and not get there. But let's face it, that's not reality. So to be obedient, we pay off the debt first, get to it. Oh, don't worry, there's more. (laughs) Operate as the manager, not the owner. It's not our stuff. That's a tough one for me. It took me forever to find that Sprinter van. I found it. And it's big. And so people are like, hey, can I borrow that? And what they say is, can I borrow your van? And in my mind, it's like, do I want them to borrow my van? I like my van. I want my van to keep running. It's big. Most people don't know how to drive a big thing. And so they're going to run it up against something, which someone did. But it's not my van, right? (laughs) Don't be looking around and pointing fingers at who did it. The point is, wait, Christian, you're laughing a lot. You've borrowed my van. Was it you? Did you run into something? Ving is pointing at you. I'm going to have a strong sense. That's what I thought. All right, I'm, I'm going to do, do a little survey of his van that God let you use. But that, this is a tough one because it, it seems like it's our stuff. But it's not. It's his. It's all his Keep the owners, God's objectives in mind. Remember, we need to know what matters to God. What's important to him? As he says in Matthew 25, which, of course, you studied and wrestled with, he cares for the hungry, the thirsty, the prisoners. That's that's where his heart's at. That's where he wants his stuff to be used. Be hardworking and responsible as a manager. When it comes to being faithful, we understand what that word means, but we don't always apply it to being the manager of his stuff. We need to be detailed because it's not ours. We need to know the, the exact amount. I, I know a business owner, and I asked him, I said, when, when's your fiscal year? When do you start your fiscal year? And he's been put in charge of this. <laughs> and he doesn't understand why he keeps getting in, in arguments with the um, with the the finance part of his company. He goes, I don't know. What? You really don't know when your fiscal year starts and when it ends? No. I know he's not going to be in that position very much longer. You've got to know these details. They're trusting you with all of this. That's your job. As a faithful steward, we need to know the ins and the outs of his stuff. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. I don't need to go too much more into this because I think we've hit it pretty hard, but it, it, you have to be careful that it doesn't grab a hold of your heart. As we talked about in the parable of the soils, or as we just talked about with 1 Timothy, our heart, for some reason with money, it can tempt us, and we want to possess it. And then when we possess it and we spend it, then we want to spend more, and we want more. and we w- You've got to be careful. Follow through with his financial plan. Take it to the end. And the last one, have a yearly financial checkup to make sure money has not found a way into your heart. This could be with a financial planner. It could be with a friend where you just lay it all out and say, look at this. Because if we want to know where our heart is, we just have to look and see where the money's been spent. So as I told you, John Wesley, I love the way he approaches things, so I took something he said and I kind of tweaked it a little bit to modernize it and put it in order. And uh, this is what he said to simplify. What does it mean to be faithful? He didn't say this is the simplification, but I'm saying it. Simplification, okay, so what do we do? How do we be faithful with God's stuff? If, if, If this brings true joy to be faithful with God's stuff, what do we do? Make all you can. That's what John Wesley said. Does that mean that's scripture? No, but why not? Why not be smart with money? All through scripture, it talks about being wise and to invest and to let it grow. But give all you can and then save all you can. And then with what's left, you live on that. And you live on it joyfully, not feeling, oh, what am I doing? Is this okay? You're not supposed to feel guilty about it. Because if you manage it faithfully, you can have this peace. You can have this sense of freedom because you know you're not lost financially. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do, what you were created to do with all of his stuff. Now, when you think about this message, I think it's very easy to feel overwhelmed. As we've been going through it week by week, it's easy to look at this and go, oh, my gosh. How am I going to do this? I'm so lost. Sometimes it's just steps. Sometimes it's just one step at a time. Maybe it's starting to make the right decisions now. Because you can't fix it all at once, most likely. But when you know what your role is, when you know the role of money and possessions, then you can start moving in that direction. So the intent of this is not to stress you out, but to set you free. To do that, you've gotta decide, do I trust what God's telling me to do, or do I trust money? Which one's your master? Because if you make God your master and you're faithful with his stuff, you will begin to be set free. And every step you make, there's a little more joy, and so then you wanna make the next step, and the next step. And you may get lost on your way, wait, what just happened? I was on the right path, and now I'm lost again you know how to get right back on it, right? Last little piece of advice. Can we ditch this background? This is really cool, by the way. Fifth grade Donovan is running the slides today. Now, I know Donovan is super, super smart, but really, any of you could do it too. So if you're willing to help, we could use the help. This is Donovan's first time, and he's crushing it. You don't have to be technically savvy to do this. This is all you got to do. Down button. Down button. Mouse, click, click, click. It's easy. So how do I spend money? Because that's, that's one of the stressors that if you didn't answer that, what do I? But how do I spend it? Again, I'm turning to John Wesley. He said, in spending this money, am I acting like I own it, or am I acting like the Lord's trustee? Imagine if every time you swipe, because let's face it, who carries around cash? The next time you venmo ask this question Am I acting like I own it, or am I acting like the Lord's trustee distributing it? What scripture requires me to spend this money this way? If you're going out to eat, you're going, maybe it seems like overthinking it, but you know what? That's what it means to be a faithful steward, to think through these things, to not be lazy. Can I offer up this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Lord, I'm doing this as an offering to you. Guaranteed you haven't asked these questions, have you? Because I haven't. This is tough stuff. But if we start to make these steps, set free. Will God reward me for being a faithful servant with this expenditure or this purchase? Will God reward me? Because scripture is clear that as we are a faithful steward, he will reward us. So you step back and think ahead. Hey, I know that I'm going to have to make an account for all of this stuff and what I did with it. So as I'm looking at doing that, is God going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? And let me finish with this scripture, one of my favorite. If you've been, you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true Riches. The reason I love this is because it lets me know that money is not really wealth. Money for us, as scripture says, is a test. Money is a test for getting the real riches, for being entrusted with what really matters. Isn't that cool? Like there's this hope, there's excitement because he's given us the test, but he's given us all the answers to the test. Look. Here's the test. Here's the answers to the test. Now just put these answers into these blank spaces, and you're going to pass. And when you pass this test of money and possessions, then I'm going to entrust you with the real riches. What? Think about that. If you knew that you came home and there was a $10,000 check that you didn't expect that just came in, woo! there'd be this temporary excitement, right? What are the real riches then? What are the real riches that he's talking about? And I'm gonna quote someone who's just as smart and just as wise as John Wesley. Stephanie Rose said this about money. (laughs) I found this in my old notes too. I don't even know when she said it. She's probably teaching me. There's a difference between money and real wealth. What we have right now is just a test. And we get the joy of sharing that. So it's our responsibility to be faithful with it. Can you do me a favor and join me by, if you're able, can you stand as we pray? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And as we sing these songs, as, as we need to always be aware of, it's easy to get sucked in to just singing the songs or even. More normal to let them sing the songs and we just kind of watch them. Maybe mouth them because we're worried. But what express with our hearts and with our voices to God during this prayer time. Because that's what these songs are. Lord, what, what do you want from me? Speak to me. I'm here. I'm your servant. And whatever else these words guide us into. So let me pray for us. Father, we surrender to you. Because it's all yours anyways, including us. Thank you for what you've entrusted us with. We ask that you would help us, guide us, encourage us, rebuke us when needed, and help us to challenge each other, Lord, so that like the early church in Acts 2, that they had everything in common and they gave to each other as everyone had need. And when they saw needs where they didn't have money lying around, They sold their stuff to meet those needs. Only your Holy Spirit can do that. So we surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Um, When we were trying to choose songs, I think there's a lot of things that go into um, not wanting to share our wealth or what
1: we have or what God's given us. But I think one of them that kept ringing true to me was um, just fear. Fear of that if you give things away,
0: that God isn't going to take care of you. Be that right or wrong, I feel like that's kind of a theme. And so these songs that we chose kind of deal with that and kind of talk about how God takes care of everyone, takes care of you. And when you lean into that love, it's a lot easier to trust him. So that's my bent on it. But you guys can bring whatever you'd like to worship and we'll uh, focus on that. Jesus name I pray. Amen.
1: You guys can take a seat, and the rest is going to come up. Well, Buck, thank you for, uh, for sharing this last several weeks on money. I know it's, uh, it's a challenge, but it was, uh, it was good. And uh, I know, want you to know that we do have, sure, something in common in that we're a little sensitive to the fact that they changed our alma mater or the, at least the, uh, the slogan. I, I was an artist, a mighty, mighty artist in Laguna. So but it, they changed it to the Breakers a couple years ago, and I'm still a little upset about it. And Sharon Matt, just so you know, I really respect Warren Buffett. So I'm going to be following his, uh, his going forward. There probably won't be much left. Uh, just want you to know in, in advance. Um, But truly, one of the things that that really struck me as Boog was uh, sharing this morning was his definition or the definition of faithful. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, I would hope and pray that we're all striving to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus. And that when we do reach the pearly gates, and for some of us that's probably sooner than later, um, that we are greeted with, well done, good and faithful servant. And the definition of faithful again, dependable, reliable, honest, sincere, honorable, sure, genuine, secure, trustworthy, competent, wise, constant, to, uh, to aspire to be. But well done, good and faithful servant. I would just challenge all of us to ponder that today, think on that, and uh, let's strive to when we do meet Jesus face-to-face, that he does greet us with open arms and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray for us and uh, just remind us not to pick up our uh, kids up and in stairs and any help that we can offer Brennan and, the, and the, uh, those that are teaching Sunday school this morning would be greatly appreciated especially in this cool, it's not raining right now, but especially in this cool weather. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Bogues' message, and we thank you for your word. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be with us today um, and keep before us this whole idea of being greeted, well done, good and faithful servant. And in your name we pray, amen. Thank you, and God bless you.